the first reading is Psalm 40, which you'll find on, on page 566 of the Red Pew Bibles. So that's Psalm 40, and we're looking at verses 1 to 10. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. So our second reading is from Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 18. And you can find this on page 1208 in the Pew Bibles. That's Hebrews 10, 1 to 18. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then he said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties, 
Again and again he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them in on their minds. And then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Good evening, everyone. Please keep Hebrews chapter 10 open in front of you. Uh, We're going to be going through this uh, more or less verse by verse. Uh, We're still in the middle of our argument why Jesus um, is better, why he's better than uh, Abraham and Moses and the old covenant and the tabernacle. Um, And we're going to go through this verse by verse so we can see clearly uh, what our author of Hebrews um, is, what he is actually um, arguing. Um, If you've been here a few uh, Sunday nights in a row, you'll probably be hopefully quite familiar with our um, study in Hebrews so far. Uh, As that was read by Joe, thank you Joe, you probably would have heard some repeated themes and ideas, but even repeated statements that we've already come across. And it could be quite tempting to sit there and go, well actually I've I've heard this all before. Uh, Yes, yes, I know Jesus is better, yes, it's it's fine. Uh, I'll just turn off on the people who haven't been here uh, the past couple of weeks. They can sit up and they can listen um, tonight. Um, while it seems that our, our, our writer might be mindlessly just repeating himself over and over because he's got spare parchment to do so, um, he's writing for a purpose. He wants these Christians to know just how amazing, just how great Jesus is. And he's using same phrases, repeated words, repeated ideas, just to reinforce all that he has said um, before. And when it comes to passages like this, we have to be quick to remember that while the Bible is written for us, it's not actually written to us. Uh, This letter to the Hebrews is not written to our church today, but to uh, a church 2,000 years ago. And so when we come to this passage, we must remember uh, what these Christians um, are going through. Uh, It's very likely that these Christians in this passage uh, are having a terrible time being Christians. uh, That they're being persecuted, that they're being tortured, that they're being urged to give up their faith. Uh, What are you doing being a Christian? Come on back to Judaism. It It was easier back here. Nobody's taunting you or making fun of you. It's, it's far easier to be a Jew than to be a Christian. Work colleagues pointing the finger. Come back to the old covenant. Don't, don't worry about that new guy. Don't worry about Jesus. Come back to Judaism where everything uh, was okay. But our author still says no. Keep going with Jesus because he is far better. And tonight we will see that Jesus really is better. Uh, that that old covenant provided no um, perfection for sins. But Jesus provides full perfection from sins. Another reason this book is so important to us is because it it tells us why we meet like this tonight. We meet in line with this book. The reason we don't meet in a temple with an altar is because we have this book of Hebrews in front of us. The reason this building looks like this is because of this book. The reason we know Jesus paid the one sacrifice for all sins is because it says in this book. So tonight, let's come with warm hearts. Let's come with hearts that are bowed and that are ready to worship. Hearts that will be amazed at what a glorious saviour that we have. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. 
Father, we ask you tonight that you would give us hungry hearts, hearts that are eager to see the truth and to see um, the worth in your word tonight, hearts that will see Jesus, hearts that will be grateful and thankful for him. We ask, God, that you would work in us, make us love you more, and make us want to be more like Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 1. Uh, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Here our author speaks of the old covenant, and he's reminding his readers that this covenant, while it says it's just a shadow, it's still good. It's not the full picture, but it's, it's still a pretty good glimpse, like a, like a fuzzy picture on the internet that suddenly bursts into full resolution whenever Jesus comes on the scene. This is still good. It's how God wants people to relate to him back in the Old Testament. And again, it can be tempting for us to go, well, what's the whole fuss? Why, why do you want to hold on to these old beliefs so much, Jewish believer? Why, why do you want to go back to these so much? Uh, the new is far, far better for us. Um, but while the new covenant is so much better, while it's perfect, while the old one was not perfect, it was still gracious of God to give people a way to access him, a way to have relationship with him. And I often think we struggle with this uh, because, number one, we live on the other side of the cross and we know how good Jesus is. We know what Jesus has accomplished for us. Uh, we weren't brought up Jews. We don't know anything about, about Judaism, really. Um, but to a Jew looking forward, not seeing what Jesus is like, this could be the fullness of their religion. We live this side of the cross. The other thing that I think we, we'd like to dismiss this old covenant is because uh, as Gentiles, as non-Jewish believers, we're actually excluded from this. That Jews could go into the temple, that they could worship, that they could have sacrifices made for their sins. But us as Gentiles, we had a son on the outside. We had a look in. Part of the old covenant was that us, people like us, non-Jewish people, were excluded and perhaps maybe the frustration of this old system makes us look coldly towards the old covenant but see what our author says it's not bad but it merely is a shadow of the good and what do shadows do um, you see a shadow moving towards you a person's shadow moving towards you what do you want to do you want to turn around and want to talk to that person you don't stand and talk to their shadow shadows make the coming of the reality exciting that you're waiting for something else to come that this old covenant pointed forward as a shadow of the new to come. So what good actually did this covenant contain? Well, its good was that it appeased God. It appeased God for people's sin. Because of the old covenant, in which animals, bulls, goats, pigeons were killed, their blood shed, God did not destroy his people. Even though their sin was horrific, even though their sin was terrible, God's people were preserved through this sacrifice. But... Look at the end of verse 1. It can never make perfect those who draw near. While the old one does a terrific job at pressing pause on God's wrath, the old covenant doesn't make anybody perfect. And the reason we know this in verse 2 is because if it had made people perfect, they would have stopped. If sacrifices for sin through animals would have made people perfect, they would have stopped giving animal sacrifices. But the fact is that they kept going year after year, week after week, day after day. If the blood blood of goats was able to make humanity perfect and presentable before a holy God, then those sacrifices would have ceased. And then we get verse 4. 
It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And without the book of Hebrews, we, we would never have known this. It is impossible for the blood of goats to take away sin. And as I was thinking this through, I think a little example of this is found in the book of Exodus at the Passover, uh, where the angel of death passed over Egypt uh, to kill the firstborn of every house. And if you were an Israelite, you sacrificed a lamb, you painted blood on your doorposts and around the door, so that when the angel came to come to your house, he saw the blood and he passed over. That lamb died so that the person might have been passed over, that they were safe from God's wrath, but they weren't forgiven. That person wouldn't die in Egypt, but they would die. And they would die still needing God's forgiveness. They were safe, but they weren't made perfect. And in fact, you could slaughter every animal on this planet, and there would be no dent in man's unforgiven sin. And I don't think that speaks to how little and how invaluable animals' life is, but rather to the ugliness and the terribleness and the extent of human sin. How terrible is our rebellion against God? That thousands and thousands of years of animals being slaughtered couldn't even find one man being made perfect. But as a shadow of this, it cries out. It cries out for a new way. Giving a little glimpse of what is good, it makes way for the new. What did the role of these priests going in and out of the tabernacle or the temple point to? What does the shedding of blood point to? It points to verse 5. When Christ came into the world and now we don't see in shadows but we see jesus the one who had come to make better to bring the whole of the whole of the goodness of god to bring the new that would mean perfection for sin he is here and what does he do in our passage well well he speaks and it's interesting whenever our uh, author of Hebrews was thinking about what, what he sh- should make jesus say he doesn't turn to matthew or mark or luke or john but he goes to the old testament He goes to Psalm 40. And what he's reinforcing is the idea that Jesus is the author of the entire scripture. That he's the embodiment of the word of God. That Christ is the voice of scripture itself. And what does Jesus say? Verses 5 to 7. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in this school. I have come to do your will, my God. And we suddenly learn that the thing that God doesn't want is the blood of animals. He doesn't want killing of animals, sacrifices made to him. What does he want? He wants somebody who's obedient to him. Well, you might go, well, then what's what's Leviticus and, and what's Deuteronomy all about if God really just wants obedient people? Well, the problem is that God can't settle for somebody who's 10% obedient or somebody who's 50 or even somebody who's 99% obedient. He wants somebody who's 100% obedient. And since no man who's ever lived apart from Jesus has ever met that criteria, that's why we need blood of animals to be shed so that God's wrath could be stead off his people because none of them were perfect. None of them had full obedience to him. But what does Jesus say? He says that a body was prepared for him. That a life was prepared for him that would be totally obedient to God. In every way, in every form, in everything possible. That Jesus was totally obedient to God. And that's exactly what he comes to earth to do. To live the perfect, obedient life. To do God's will. He comes to abolish the sacrificial system and to do God's will. 
How does he abolish the sacrificial system? Does he go into the temple and just destroy the altar? And does he tell the priests that they have no job anymore? And does he sacrifice lots and lots of animals that have never been sacrificed before so that sin might just be covered? No. How does Jesus end the old covenant? How does he do away with the system of sacrifice? He sacrifices himself. The perfect, obedient man, God incarnate, came to deal with human sin by dying himself. He abolishes the old ways of blood and death by shedding his blood and enduring death himself, by being the ultimate sacrifice that after his death there is no more sin to deal with, that all is forgiven, all can be made perfect through him. And then he leads the way. He leads the way for us to be obedient to his father. In the sacrifice of Jesus, we find ultimate forgiveness, ultimate righteousness, to be perfect in God's sight. And also through Jesus, we find a way that we can be totally obedient to God as well. And we know the sacrificial work of Jesus is the final word. Because unlike those priests of old who went in and out every day, day after day, sin never being fully atoned for, only God's wrath being stead, what does Jesus do? He says on the cross it is finished. He ascends into heaven. Job done. He sits down on the throne beside his father. God's people cleanse. God's people clean. He sits down. The work is done. And everybody can breathe a sigh of relief. This means that there's no more sacrifice. No more blood being spilt for sin. Because the son of God has dealt with it all. Earlier in the service we confessed our sins to God. We didn't have to take out a pigeon to kill just, just in case. Just in case there's a little bit of sin that Jesus didn't deal with. We didn't pay anybody. We didn't bribe anybody into forgiving our sin because our sin has been once for all completely dealt with at the cross of Jesus. Everything that we have said, everything that we have done, and everything we're going to do has been perfected at the cross of Christ. This Jesus sitting down beside the Father is what theologians like to call the session of Christ. And another thing it tells us is that it satisfies the Father. That the Father allows the Son to sit beside him because in the Father's eyes, the Son has done his job. The Son has perfected his people and he gives Jesus the highest honour he can bestow on anyone. And thirdly, the sitting around of Jesus points to him coming again. Verse 13. And since that time he awaits for his enemies to be made a footstool. Now he waits, waiting for his second coming. And he's not coming again to deal with sin because that's been done once for all. But what he's coming for is judgment. He's coming for the ultimate crushing of Satan's head under his foot. That Satan might be his footstool. That death, that illness, that disease might submit themselves under Christ. There's no more sacrificial work to be done. Why? Verse 14. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus hasn't just made the old system a little bit better, made it a little bit more effective or efficient in dealing with sin, but he's perfected it. And perfected it so much that it never needs to happen again. What type of people do does verse 14 talk about? It talks about people who are perfected forever. The perfecting of God's people is perfectly complete. 
Does this mean we, we never sin? Does it mean that we all do things perfectly? No. Why? Because in the same verse we're also being made holy. What a strange combination to say with one line that we are made perfect and then another line to say that we're also being made holy, being made perfect. Let's look at our first last four verses to see why the author puts it in this way. He quotes Jeremiah and he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Note here that when it comes to quoting from the scripture, he doesn't use the words of Jesus, but he he points to the Holy Spirit as being the one who is the figure. And it's not that Jesus said some things and the Holy Spirit said some things and God the Father said some other things. But all three persons of the Trinity are working together to give a scripture that all scripture is breathed from all three persons of the Trinity. And through these verses he's explaining that the new covenant that we have with Jesus is the one that we find total forgiveness for sins. And where there is forgiveness for these things there's no more sacrifices needed to deal with them. The perfection we find as God's people, that we find ourselves in it, is because God can forgive and now even put our sins away. He has no need to open the big book that all our sins are written down in. He can remember them no more because of what Jesus has done. That's how perfect Jesus' sacrifice is, that God can say, I don't even need to call up their sins. I don't even need to remember their sins anymore. That once for all sacrifice of Jesus covers our past sin, our current sin and future sin. Once for all, all of our sin is covered. But what about the rest? We've been perfected. So what do we have to do now? What are we going to do as as perfect people? Well, we, we get busy being made holy. We're not saved to continue in our sin, but saved to kill it. To run from it, to flee it, to put it to death, and to live lives that are pleasing to God. And there's a sense of assurance here. You know that you stand perfected in the eyes of God, blameless and holy before him, if you're running towards holiness. That seems to be the goal for this author. Does Jesus take the place he should in your life? And is that causing you to seek him more and being more conformed to his image I think what our author wants to say to us tonight does Jesus have the place he should have in your life is he the centre of everything you do is he the most important person is he the most attractive and beautiful person you can behold right now and is that making you holier know tonight that whatever you've done whatever sin you've committed I'm not going to stand up here and list mine because you'll be pretty horrified but all those things Every sinful thought, every sinful deed, everything we knew that we ought not to have done, Jesus dealt with that. What should that cause us to do? We'll rejoice. Sometimes we get so caught up in thinking, what do I have to do this week to be a better Christian? And sometimes the Bible just says, just praise God. Just come before him with hearts full of thankfulness to say thank you. Say thank you to God that we don't live under the old covenant where we've been coming here to shed the blood of animals but we live under the new where the son of God came to die once for all, that we have all been set free for the judgment that once awaited us. And with that, with that love, with that commitment, with that renewed joy, go to Jesus and say, Lord, would you make me holier? Would this devotion to you cause me to be more like you? 
Would I love the way you love? Would I see the way you see? Would I speak the way you speak? Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Give me the grace to forgive others as well. This week, we're all going to sin, every single one of us. Um, The encouragement I want to give us from this passage is run to Christ, who perfected us once for all. No more atonement, no more sacrifice, once for all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise your name this evening. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for leaving behind the glories of heaven to come to this earth, to die on that cross for us, for making that once-for-all sacrifice for sin. We can't imagine the pain or the torment taking the sin of the world bore in your body that day, but we praise you for doing it. We thank you that you're a Lord who offers forgiveness freely, and we ask, God, that each one of our hearts would know your forgiveness in you tonight. God, we pray that that forgiveness will cause us to love you and cause us to serve you more earnestly and more eagerly. That in being people who are made perfect, that we would be coming more perfect as well. Be with us all this week in all that we do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.